we're all used to our democratic republic where we get to choose our leaders. We'll vote them in and that will be my president until you start seeing uh, not my president, right? Not my president. How often did that go over <laughs> this last couple cycles of, of presidencies? Not my president. But the thing is, God has appointed a king to rule over all. And he appointed that king within the context of Israel. And now that king over Israel has become the king of the world. Now, not even in Israel did they really want to choose this Messiah. They, Messiah means uh, anointed one, one who's been set aside and, and exalted to um, the high place of leadership. And they were expecting this this Messiah to come and rule and reign among them. And they were in a situation where they were still in exile. Israel was still paying for their sins, as it were. Yeah, they were in their homeland, but, but they didn't have a kingdom. They weren't living the dream, right? They were still paying for their sins of idolatry and still waiting divine forgiveness and restoration. But they were seeking revolution. They wanted to overthrow Rome, and the desire to get rid of Rome just captivated their hearts and minds. Before Jesus was on the scene, after Jesus was on the scene, the countryside filled with followers of Jesus, and some in the city had hoped that Jesus was the revolutionary leader, the Messiah, the chosen one who would lead the revolt. But then it was over. On the social media boards of that day, you'd hear uh, and see hashtag not my Messiah. Hashtag I don't follow failed messiahs. Hashtag not my revolution. Hashtag successful kings don't get nailed to a cross. The Jewish people as a whole had not embraced Jesus, but rather had crucified him. They were not into this kind of leader who would fail them so quickly. They had thought he had failed. And Peter, when he's addressing this crowd that is all stirring and wondering what is going on with the, with the tongues of fire and the wind and the, and the people speaking in other languages and what's God up to? And, and he starts to explain that where this is actually a fulfillment of the prophecy that when when the contra contract, the new covenant, is written on our hearts, it'll be done by the Spirit. Peter goes right after this problem. And, and what I want you to be thinking about is, is how the gospel speaks a real word into the real world. But first it spoke a word into Israel, didn't it? Spoke right into Israel and what they were going through, their issues, their problems. And Peter addresses them with this very specific word. And the gospel, of course, is to the Jew first and also to the Gentile. But this is how it hit the Jewish audience right here, who were saying, not my Messiah. That's not the one I voted for. That's not the one I wanted. If you go to Acts chapter 2, verse 22, this is what it says. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst as you yourselves know. This Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. 
this Jesus you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. So he goes after this crowd and says, you don't understand what's going on. God has done a, a mighty thing through Jesus. Jesus was a man attested to you by God with, with, what was it, mighty works and wonders and signs. And you yourself know this. So he's preaching to a crowd, not quite the choir, right, but a crowd who knew all of these things. We have a different crowd today, don't we? They don't know this. They don't know this. But this Jesus you, you delivered over to death by the hands of lawless men, men outside of the covenant law. Of course, the Romans were famous for their law, but these are, you, you, you turned someone, you betrayed our Messiah to, to those outside of the law. But God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death. That word pangs or pains is the same word to describe childbirth. So, so the death and rebirth, birth is all kind of right in there is this beautiful mixed metaphor here and he says this is your messiah this was the one that god proved was the one that we needed he is your messiah don't mistake it at all and isn't that beautiful according to god's definite plan and foreknowledge now god knows everything that's going to happen but not everything we would say is his definite plan right he definitely planned for you to sin yesterday. No, no, no. No, but, but he, he knew it was going to happen. But this is God's like decree. It's going to happen in this way. And at the hands of lawless men, Jesus was crucified. The very best among us was crucified, nailed to a cross, and left to die. Wow. So he, in verse 25, he says, David says concerning him. Now, David, that's King David, the the, the ruler, the, the one, you know, he's the George Washington of, of Israel. He's the one they go back to and say, yeah, he's our man. David says concerning him. Who's him? Well, talk, you're saying David talked about Jesus? That's, that's, that's what Peter's saying. David said concerning him, I saw the Lord always before me. For he is at my right hand that I may not be shaken. So he's, he's right here. Therefore, my heart was glad and my tongue rejoiced. My flesh also will dwell in hope. I've got hope and I'm not shaken because of this one who's right beside me and my heart is glad. He says, for you will not abandon my soul to Hades, nor let your Holy One see corruption. You've made known to me the paths of life. You will make me full of gladness with your presence. Now, David's talking about this one who would to come, who would come, the, a king that would be one of his great great grandsons that would sit on the throne. He says, "You will, you will not let your holy one see corruption. You won't abandon my soul to the underworld, the Hades, the the place of death. But you've known to me, made known to me the paths of life. You will make me full of gladness with your presence." He says here, brothers, I say to you with confidence that the patriarch David, that he was, he died and was buried and his tomb is with us to this day. He wasn't talking about his own soul, is he? Being therefore a prophet and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants upon his throne, he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of the Christ. 
that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God raised up, and of that we are all witnesses. I want to pause there for a second. Of that we are all witnesses. Now, being therefore at the right hand of God, exalted at the right hand of God, and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. Wow. Jesus is shown to be right there at the right hand of the Father. That's the exaltation. That was when he ascended. That's He's now taking his place in that overwatch position. He's closer than ever because he's with us always. And so Jesus is there at the right hand of the Father, and he got the promise of the Holy Spirit. It's been poured out. And it says, David did not ascend into the heavens, right? But he, he himself says, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Now, there's so much more that Peter probably did say and could say about this. But David is speaking, the Lord said to my Lord, and like, whoa, what kind of situation are you in? He's talking about Jesus. They've been anticipating that there would be a king, there would be a Messiah who would come and sit on David's throne and would rule and reign. Of course, he was hung on a cross. So how does that fit their expectations? Well, he failed their expectations. In fact, many of them, only 50 days later, are probably looking for the next revolutionary. Who's going to help us overthrow Rome? Who's going to get us out of this tough situation? Well, verse 36, let the, all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Wow. Let all the house of Israel know that, that God has made him both Lord and Christ. Now, why do you need Lord and Christ? Well, Lord, that's a curios. That's a title that even the Caesars would have. They would say, we are lords. And Christ, well, that's Christos. That's from the Messiah. That's the anointed one. That's the revolutionary leader, the one who's at the apex, the one who's the top dog, the one who is the king of Israel. God has, has shown that this truly is the Lord and Christ. This Jesus whom you crucified. He is your revolutionary. And this is the way the world will be turned upside down. Do you get it? You're going to follow his leadership by the Spirit. In fact, Peter's saying we should have been expecting this. That when God renews his covenant with us, that the Spirit is poured out. And, and Peter shares how, how the scriptures have, have shaped this expectation. The gospel is for the Jew first and then for the Greek. The meaning of Easter is this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. That's how the resurrection plays out. So what happens then? They said, oh, when they had heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off. That's me. Everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. Okay. Choose me, Jesus. Call me to yourself. And with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized. And there were added that day about 3,000 souls. Save yourself from this crooked 
and depraved generation. Save yourselves. Peter's saying again, along with what Jesus was saying, you are headed down a course that you cannot get out of by yourself. If you continue this idea of seeking revolution, you are headlong into destruction. Um, if you keep doing that, you are going to be destroyed. Jesus is offering you another way. And Israel needs to take that way. And in this case, 3,000 were added on that day, which is pretty amazing. And the message, what do I do? Repent and be baptized for the forgiveness of sins. Be baptized. Be forgiven. This is, this is pretty amazing that God is allowing them to come back from, from their exile, be, to be brought back into the family, to be brought back into the covenant people of God, the new covenant written by the Spirit. It's now time. Forgiveness has the sense of freedom and, and rescue from exile. Your idolatry and sinfulness have been forgiven and you're now restored as a people. And baptism signifies this new, this new point. Jesus has taken baptism and merged it with, with divine life. I love what Willie James Jenny says. He, he says, just as he turned water into wine, now he'll bring water into service by the Holy Spirit. By the Spirit, water will become a steady voice calling for the renewal of creation. Each baptism in the name of Jesus will say loudly and clearly, Come, Holy Spirit, claim yet another part of your creation. Claim yet another child. You know, it's a curious thing when we look at baptism that every Christian tradition looks to the book of Acts for their mode of baptism. If you ask them, like, why do you, I don't know, baptize babies? Why do you sprinkle? Why do you dunk? Why do you do? They all go back to the book of Acts. Acts wasn't really trying to explain all of the process. I mean, think about this. The 120 who were receiving the Spirit and speaking in all these different languages presumably had been baptized by John the baptizer in the wilderness to, to initiate their, their return from exile and repentance of sin. And then on Pentecost, those followers of Jesus were baptized with the Spirit. So they get the water and the Spirit together. Look at that. But the 3,000 that repented and were baptized in the name of Jesus were baptized in water and received the Spirit. Later on, we meet people who had John's baptism, but not the Spirit, until they laid hands on them. And But what we do know is this. Repentance and baptism go together. There's this picture of cleansing, renewal, washing, and filling for new creation. And if you haven't been baptized, come talk to me. I want to I wanna baptize you and let's start this process. Let's restart the, the forgiveness of sins and the exile and then let's, let's move forward into the new life God has for us. Turn back from your headlong course into destruction and die to self. Embrace the King. Receive the Spirit. You'll be loosened from the pangs of death and be born again as a new creation. But as we think about the gospel, it was presented to Israel. There's a big backstory that they understood. They were expecting a king. They're expecting a Messiah. Oh, not Jesus. Actually, it was Jesus, right? So there's this whole picture. But what's the gospel itself? What's the good news? Well, the good news is that Jesus is king and Lord of all. He's Messiah. Jesus Christ is Lord. That's that's the shape of, of, the, of the gospel itself. 
But then what are the what's the means of salvation? Well, how do you, how do I get saved? Well, repent and and be baptized. And for Israel, what was the method of persuasion? Well, it was you missed the turn, you're headed off a cliff. <laughs> Save yourself, turn to the Lord while there is still time. But it's interesting to me that, you know, the the, the gospel as it's presented to the Jews has this whole backstory that it fulfills, but there's still a Hebrew-shaped gospel as it's presented to the Gentiles as well. So how do we speak a real word into the real world today when people don't really know about Jesus and they don't know about his resurrection and they're not really sure ab about, you know, kingship and, and Dave, son of David, what does that have to do with anything? How do we speak a word right now as we're speaking to the Gentiles? Because it's to the Jew first and then to the Gentiles. Uh, Romans chapter 1, 1 through 5. Paul, he, he opens it up to say, this is from me, a servant of Christ Jesus, the King Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God. The good news of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures. You can't avoid that backstory if we're going to explain what God has been doing. He, he, he promised beforehand through the prophets in the Holy Scripture concerning his son who was descended from David according to the flesh and was declared to be son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead. Jesus, the Messiah, our Lord, through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among the nations. So it doesn't matter who you're talking to. What we need to understand is the Hebrew shape of the gospel according to the scriptures, that God has, has always been wanting a people for himself. And he used the Israelites to cause that to take place so that through him all blessing would come back. He promised it to Abraham, and he promised it to Isaac, and to Jacob, that through him, and then he promised to David, through your seed, you'll have a king on your throne who's going to bring it all back together. And not just be Lord of Israel, but be Lord of all. So this Hebrew king, this king of kings, is now a Lord of all. Uh, the, the most simplified gospel message we have from Paul is in 2 Timothy 2. He says, Jesus, the Messiah risen from the dead, offspring of David, this is my gospel. <laughs> right? Jesus the Messiah, risen from the dead, offspring of David, the anticipated king and ruler of all. Now I just want to say a word from Tim Keller. Some of you know Tim Keller, a really brilliant thinker, pastor, leader. And uh, he's, he's spoken a bit about how Obviously, at a time when there's need for more speaking about Jesus, more gospeling, more telling of the story of Jesus, um, there's less willingness to do it right now. He finds that in all sorts of measures, statistics and in conversations as well. And he says this, why is that happening? He says there's many factors. He says, first, talking about Christian faith is more complicated a generation ago, you could assume the vast majority of the people believed in a personal God, an afterlife, 
moral absolutes, the reality of their sin, and a basic respect for the Bible. Right? It's kind of like Peter preaching to the, to the choir, preaching to the people who have the story already. And that was what it was like a generation ago. Christ, Christians routinely assumed the existence of these, these dots that they could later connect. And so evangelism, telling the, telling the story of Jesus, was just basically connecting those dots, right? To show this is why you need Jesus. But we can't really assume that anymore. The basic ideas, uh, they're not common knowledge anymore. Uh, or not just common knowledge, but Tim Keller says they're not even acceptable usually. So to talk about faith now is working to establish really basic concepts before we talk about Jesus' gift of salvation. So there's, it's more complicated, so that's why we maybe don't engage in that. I don't even know where to start. Second, he says, talking about the Christian faith is more difficult. In the past, uh, religion was accepted as a pretty good thing. You know, maybe not for me, but I get it. It's good for society. But now... Christianity is no longer even seen as a good influence in society or in individuals' lives. Uh, he says, from the history of the church supporting slavery and religious wars to the current involvement of religious persons in politics, the flaws and sins of the Christian church are right in front of everybody in our culture. And <laughs> perhaps you've noticed that the Christian views, the traditional Christian views over sexuality are like vehemently opposed. There's anger and hatred. And so now to talk about faith means being peppered with hostile questions. So it's more complicated, okay? It's more difficult because it's not even accepted as a, as a positive thing to start with. And this is the third, he says, younger adults have been told repeatedly, no one has the right to tell anybody else what they should believe, right? So you shouldn't be trying to convert anyone. And while they say that, they try to convert you to that belief <laughs> that, that no one has the right to tell others what to believe, even the right to tell others to not believe what, okay, right? It's just self-contradictory. So people have bought into that, and it has enormous cultural power right now. And it's really hard if you're a younger person, you know, anywhere from maybe age 10 to, to your mid-30s, you've had this beaten into your head. And it's hard. It's hard to, to figure that out. Um, and also it's been pointed out by Sherry Turkle in her book, Reclaiming Conversation, that the more people use social media, the less they're able to empathize or put themselves in other people's shoes and the more unable they are to talk face-to-face -face with anyone who disagrees with them. So now we're hiding out, and we're not having great empathy for one another. Um, so, so he says, uh, this is what Tim Keller says, there are three major reasons for how, why we're so unfruitful in our evangelism, sharing our faith. He says these three things. There's a lack of sensitivity. We fix that sensitivity if we would humble ourselves and realize that we are ourselves are undeserving sinners. So we can overcome the lack of sensitivity. There's a lack of courage. We can overcome that by the boldness that knows that we're loved no matter what. And the third major reason for unfruitfulness is indifference. We don't actually care. I mean, we look around and see people struggling to find meaning and satisfaction and hope and confidence. And the reason we keep our mouths shut 
is because we fail to have love for them. Tell me it's not true. We don't love them exactly. I mean, what if you knew they were going off the cliff, they were going to hell in a handbasket, and you're like, well, I don't really care enough to... They can go there for all I care because I'm not really willing to care. Do you see the situation we're stuck in? Oh, God, save us. God, help me. The gospel produces love. That's what it does. The, the good news of Jesus produces a love for others. And uh, maybe you say, Tom, Tim Keller says this. Now you may say, well, yes, I see I ought to be that humble, that confident, that loving, but I'm not. And he says, you've confirmed the point. The problem is ultimately in our hearts, not in our lack of training. Get me. Training is good. Get some training. That's awesome. But it's ultimately a problem in our hearts. It's not training or, well, I don't know how to answer all the questions. You know, there's, there's stories throughout the Bible of people that just start to talk about Jesus. There's a woman of, of Samaria, this, this woman who's got questionable character. She met Jesus at a well, and it says many of the Samaritans of that town believed in Jesus because of what she said, her testimony. Why? She wasn't that well trained, uh, but he had changed her with his mercy. He had spoken a word into her real world and had, had transformed her. And now she didn't even care what people thought because of the transformation. She said, come, see a man who knew all my failures and still loved me. And they came. They said to the woman, we don't believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard it for ourselves. We know this man is really the savior of the world. Do you know that? Just take a half second. Do you know that Jesus is the savior of the world? Do you believe that? Or have you had that beaten out of your head? Jesus, the Savior of the world. Lord Jesus, this is Tim Keller's prayer. Lord Jesus, change our hearts so that we have the love for our sorrowing, perishing friends. Give us that love that will fuel our bold yet humble witness to the grace of God that can only be found in Jesus. See, the truth is this. If you know Jesus, you can witness to that. What did you see? What did you hear? What did you witness? Well, I, I, I know Jesus. If you felt the comfort of his love, you can witness to that. If you felt his forgiveness, his grace, his hope, you can witness to that. The world needs your witness. It's dying for it. Absolutely. And, and the powerful systems that keep us distracted and busy need a word about the true rest of Jesus. I just met with somebody today who said, I wish someone had told me, <laughs> I wish someone had told me earlier about Jesus that I could, could, it would shape my trajectory more. I wish they would have told me. And we can do that. We can speak a word of truth and love to power. As we close, I, I just want you to think about this. Uh, we, we all have the, the word we need. We all have the power we need to speak a, a real word word into the real world. We all have that power. The Spirit of God has given it to us. The Apostle Paul, later we'll see him in, in the book of Acts, the Apostle Paul couldn't wait to tell Lord Caesar, Kyrios Caesar, the Son of God, that's what they called him, that actually Jesus is Lord and King, and he is the Son of God. Paul couldn't wait to speak that into the context of power. So we need to think about how do we speak truth? about the reign of Jesus 
in the micro-contexts, city centers, seats of power, the first thing we need to do is to sit with Jesus and be convinced ourselves that he reigns supreme. We need to convince and remind ourselves, Spirit, remind us that every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord. Now, I don't think you chose this Messiah. You didn't even know you needed a king like this, but he chose you, all that the Lord calls. He chose you and found you and transformed you. Now, if that's not your story, I want you to slow down. In fact, turn around. That's repentance. And let him catch up to you. He's right there. And he is the true king of kings. Let me pray for you. God, we need to be changed. We need to be converted from from cultural Christians to witnesses who can speak a real word into the real world about King Jesus. Would you transform us as a people? Give us a moment, give us a word to to witness um, even today. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.